0: Great story. <laughs> Love hearing those stories. Love them. Um, hey, for those of you who have not heard yet, um, a week ago today, our own Vanessa Zimmerman gave birth to baby Raylan, Raylan James Zimmerman, seven pounds, 12 ounces, 19 and a half inches long. So, welcome, baby Ray. Um, glad to have her here. And, uh, um, you know, everybody likes all the details, you know, how. How much, how, what was the weight? how long, and all of that. And then um, you know, usually one of the questions is, well, how was the delivery? You know, how long in labor? You know, and I don't know the answer to that one. Um, and, but I do know this. I do know that labor and delivery is not easy. It's hard work. I know because I was there for the birth of our two kids. Yeah, I, I'll admit, Betty did most of the heavy lifting on that one. But she had a great coach, you know, <laughs> breathe, 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 you know. Um, but, it, you know, it, it occurred to me this week as I was thinking about the topic we're talking about today is, you know, after all the, you know, nine months of this carrying this, deliver, you know, developing baby within you and then the hours and sometimes days there is of labor and, and all of that pain and all that you go through and, and all of that, what in the world makes anyone consider ever doing it again? Why? Why would you go through that? Not to, I mean, we had two kids. Vanessa, this is her fourth. So it's like, why would you do that four times, you know? But I, and, I, and I think back to when our kids were born, and I think, here's the deal. It's like, you know, for all that you go through and, and all that pain and everything else, when that new life is laid on your chest and for the very first time you look down at that thing, there is this overwhelming sense of joy that makes everything else disappear. You know, you're just, you're just overwhelmed when you just overwhelm when you look at this new life just lying there and you just, you know, it's just it's overwhelming to you. And then, and then you realize that it's going to be the last good night's sleep you had for the next 21 years. It's all downhill from here. But in that moment, in that moment, you experience joy. Um, And and joy is what we're going to talk about today. Um, We are in this series called Believe. We are using this as a resource book. And if you haven't yet, um, we encourage you. The books are free. They're available out at the info desk. And um, we've been going through this actually all together as a church all the way back in January when we started it. So it's a pretty thick book. You can pick it up today. You don't have to read like all 21 chapters to catch up with us this week. Um, What I would encourage you to do, the way that the book is broken down is it's in three sections. The first section is what do we believe? What are the essentials of our faith? The second 10 chapters is about how we believe. What difference does it make in our actions and in our behavior? Because what we say we believe means nothing. It's how we live our lives that show what we truly believe. But the most important aspect of it, and this is what we're on to this section now is who we are becoming the be in believe is who am I who, what am I going to be and that 's all about our character and so what we 're encouraging people is pick up the book it 's free if you 're um, just starting with us now, um, I would say read this week chapter two because that 's the what we believe, and then skip and you read chapter twelve, which is the how that goes put puts into practice and then Chapter 22, which is what we're going to talk about today, is who I'm becoming because of this belief that I'm starting to live out. Okay, So we're talking about joy this week. The other thing I would encourage you to do is not just pick up the book and start reading, but get in a community group. You can sign up for those out in the lobby. Do this with other people, and especially if you're just joining us in this journey, um, it'll be real easy to catch up as we go along. So um, if you haven't yet, pick up this book. Um, get into a community group, and start learning and growing together with us. Because it's all about, really, ultimately, the character, who I'm becoming. And Paul wrote about it to a church in the city of Galatia when he described it. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit, the the outgrowth, the produce of God's Spirit at work in our lives. And it develops these characters of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He said, that's the character that God is building in you. And last week, we looked at the the character of love and how you cultivate love and what love looks like. And we're looking at each one each week, but it's not like, okay, now go home and work on this one this week. They're uh, they're all intertwined. In fact, joy is really one of the outgrowths of love. We talked about last week how love is taking and and shifting your focus off of you and your self-interest and your self-centeredness and start becoming others-focused, and it does something within you. And one of the things that it does within you is increases your capacity for joy. Because when you quit thinking only about you and you start thinking about other people, your vision expands. And, and then you're not so worried about everything that's going on and how people are treating you and what you're going through. Um, but you get a, a bigger perspective and that creates this capacity for joy. And Paul wrote about this, actually, to another church. It's his letter to the church in Philippi, which is in northern, northern Greece. And uh, this was a group of people um, that he had founded this church, planted this church there. And, um, and, and now he writes a letter to them. This is years later. He's actually writing from prison. He's in jail. He doesn't know the outcome. In fact, in the letter, he says, I'm not sure What's going to happen? If this is going to end up in my death or if I'm going to be released and be able to join you again, I don't know where this is all going to lead. And and in that uncertainty and in those circumstances, he writes to them, and there's this overwhelming sense of joy. He talks about joy and rejoicing and confidence and peace and all of these things. And in the middle of these circumstances, he's writing to them about joy. And toward the end of the letter, which is in our book of Philippians, chapter 4, this is what he writes to them. He kind of brings it all down into focus as he wraps up the letter. In verse 4, if you want to follow along, Philippians 4, 4, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly that in the Lord that you at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. In the middle of all of his circumstances, he writes to them about joy. Which tells us something about joy that it 's not dependent on circumstances and and in this little section here, I think he kind of expounds on it, and he gives us three areas that I think we can use to cultivate joy in our own lives and i 'm going to give them to you all up front because um, you know preachers really like it when a sermon works out where all the points line up with the same letter, you know because it just it just Makes you look so intelligent and cool, right? Um, So I'm going to give you the fill in the blanks up front. You can fill in the blanks, and then you can listen to the rest of the sermon. Um, It starts to do, it has to do, first of all, with our contentment. It has to do with our confidence in God. And it has to do with discovering our life calling. And I think these three key areas become the greatest sources of joy for us in our lives. So let me start with this first one. Developing your sense of contentment. That, That... that there's a difference between joy and happiness. See, happiness tends to be more dependent on our circumstances and, and, and how much money's in the bank account and how comfortable life is. And that's where happiness tends to come from. Joy is something much more profound, it is much deeper than that. It is something from deep within us. And, and it's not something that not necessarily automatically comes to us. Paul put it this way He said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That this is something you, you, you got to kind of learn, you got to work on, you kind of cultivate a little bit. There is a source of joy, but there's a part to it that we have. Um, Dr. Martin Seligman, uh, he's a leading researcher in happiness studies um, and a psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, and he, and he uh, uh, uses what he calls positive psychology. And, um, and, and he's written a book called Authentic Happiness. And in the book, he makes a distinction between what he calls momentary happiness and what he calls enduring happiness. And momentary happiness is that happiness that is, is by events or, or experiences or, or acquisitions, um, things that come, the, that moments of happiness that we get with something new. But he says, those aren't the things that sustain you. Authentic happiness is an enduring happiness. And you don't get enduring happiness by keeping to, you know, adding on more and more new things or buying, buying more stuff, um, because that's just, that's still just series momentary happiness and it doesn't sustain you. And he writes about what he calls the hedonic treadmill, which goes something like this We make a purchase or an acquisition and it gives us happiness. But over a period of time, we get used to it and we kind of become inured to it and it doesn't give us the sense of happiness that we once had. But now we've kind of raised the bar on what it takes to make us happy. So we have to buy something and require something that is newer, brighter, shinier, bigger, better in some way. But what happens is, it's this treadmill because the same thing happens and eventually that does not supply happiness for us. And so we're on this treadmill always looking for happiness, but we're never content. I'll give you an example. This is an iPhone 7. Ooh. I was eligible last November for the iPhone 10. This one's paid for. I am learning contentment. That's how it works. And boy, let me tell you, when the iPhone 10 came out and all the, oh, man, I was just like, oh, I got to have that. I got to have that. I got to have that. And then my wife reminded me, no, you don't need to have that. No, you don't need to have that. See, brighter, shinier, newer, better, bigger, whatever it might be. That is a treadmill that never leads to contentment. There's a secret to this whole thing, and it takes some learning. And we live in a culture that thousands of companies spend millions of dollars every year trying to convince us that our life is incomplete without their product. And they do a great job at it. And we buy into it all the time. And it does not lead to contentment. Contentment comes within. He says, I know what it is to live this all the way, but if, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's something that has to be developed from within. And you don't do it, by the way, in your own strength. It comes through His strength in you. One of the ways that we do this is reminding ourselves on a regular basis, what I have is really enough. In fact, it's more than enough. And God has been more than generous to me. But when we we focus on what we don't have, we become discontent. Contentment comes in focusing on what we do have and what God has provided and being grateful and thankful for that. In fact, this is so important that all the way back when, when God called the nation of Israel to be his people and, and called them out of the slavery in Egypt and, and, and he gave to them as they were about to enter into this, uh, the land of promise, he, he reminded them about all these things. And one of the things that God did was he, he established for the nation of Israel feasts and festivals And these were to be times throughout the year in which you gathered together and you just celebrated. And they were all celebrations of God's provision, God's safety, God's taking care of us, and all of these things. And he actually gave them very specific instructions on how to celebrate these festivals. In Deuteronomy 14, this is what he says. He says, now you take the money that you have. Did you travel to the place, this is verse 25, Deuteronomy 4, 25, 14, 25. Travel to the place the Lord your God chooses for himself. There you may spend the money however you wish for cattle, sheep, wine, beer, or whatever you desire. You and your household may eat here in the presence of the Lord your God and enjoy it. Now, I got to tell you, I was pretty much born and raised in church. I never heard that verse preached on, ever. <laughs> I didn't know that was in the Bible until recently. (laughs) In fact, usually the teachings that we got were exactly the opposite of that kind of stuff. Because, no, I want you to enjoy what I've provided for you. And part of that comes with learning contentment. So here's a very practical way you can do that this week. Each morning this week, one of the first things you do, get yourself a blank book or a notepad or scrap of paper, I don't know, whatever you can. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Each day this week, start the day writing in this journal or notepad or whatever it is you have, and just start with this sentence. Today, Lord, I am grateful for. Dot dot dot. And don't just list a whole bunch of things, okay? What I really want you to do is pick one thing. So you gotta stop for a moment and say, okay, today, what am I truly grateful for? And then in the journal and on that pad, write down why you are grateful for that. Take some time to enjoy what it is that God has provided to you and recognize that he is the provider of those things. And just do that for seven days. Focusing on what God has given you, what you do have, not on what you don't have. It will do a great deal towards building that sense of contentment, which is a source of joy. Paul put it this way. It's about changing the way that you think. Fill your minds with those things that are good and deserve praise. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. He says, think about those kinds of things. Fill fill your brain with those kinds of things. Develop that sense of contentment. Next one. Deepen your sense of confidence in God. Deepen your sense of confidence. See, contentment is usually around stuff and acquisitions, okay? But but, um, confidence, that's more about circumstances or situations. And and so one of the things is, is, is to develop this confidence that my life is in God's hands. Because here's the thing, becoming a Christ follower does not exempt you from difficult times. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, I mean, really. There's no, there's no, nobody gets a free pass. There's no, there's no promise in scripture that you're not going to go through difficulty. No one gets a get out of trouble free card. You know, it, it doesn't come with the deal. What we are promised, what we are promised is in the middle of whatever circumstances, difficulties, whatever they might be, we're not there alone. And that's the key. Paul can write this letter sitting in a prison cell not knowing what the outcome is going to be and still write about joy because he has this sense that I'm not in this alone. And so he writes to these people and he reads these words Rejoice in the Lord I always. I will say it again in case you didn't get it the first time. Rejoice. Now he's not saying stiff upper lip guys you know put on that plastic smile pretend everything's good. No. He says No. No. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. By the way, how many situations? Every. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God has invited us. In fact, more than invited us. He has encouraged us to invite him into our present difficulties, into our present situation. And there is nothing too trivial and nothing too great that you are not allowed to bring before him. And some of us here are going through some pretty rough stuff right now. You're not in it alone. And God has given you this opportunity to invite him into your circumstances, whatever they may be. Years ago, it's it's kind of run its course a little bit, but a number of years ago, um, there was a rise of of this um, word of faith theology. And, and, And it got to the point where it was like, Every people, were, people who kind of bought into this, there was almost a sense that you didn't want to admit that anything was wrong because you didn't want to make a negative confession. And, and, and so, because that would show a lack of faith. And then if you don't have faith, you're not going to get an answer to your prayer. My, my thing with all that was, how do, how do you pray about something that you're going through that's difficult without saying that it's difficult? <laughs> you no, know, the prayer is, no, you come to him with whatever's going on, good or bad, And just admit it. And then let God show his presence to you. And here's the good thing. It's every situation. And you don't have to have some formula prayer. You don't have to say all the right words. You don't even have to learn King James English. You can just talk to him about whatever's going on in your life. And he's there. You're inviting him in to that situation. And here's what happened. In fact, let me give you a definition of, of, of joy. Here's the working definition for you. It is the settled conviction that God is in control of the details of my life and his intent and desire for me is good. See, that's a confidence. It's the settled conviction that God is in control of the details of my life and his intent and desire for me is always good. Now, we may not see it in the middle of the difficulty. And it can be so overwhelming that it's hard to believe that anything good can come out of it. But if I recognize and have confidence in the fact that God's here and he's at work somehow, even though I don't see it, and his desire and ultimate outcome for me is good. Now, that may not be that everything turns out good, in fact, very often what happens is when you invite God into the situation, it doesn't just, it's not just about, in prayer, getting God to see things your way. What happens is you begin to see things God's way, and it changes your perspective. And that's why Paul could write in the middle of a prison cell, not knowing if it was going to end in death, about rejoicing. In fact, at the beginning of the letter, he wrote these words. Oh, He says, let the peace of God, the pe- when you do this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That will be your so- source of confidence. That'll be your source of joy. And what Paul experienced, he writes to them about in the very beginning of the letter. He says, I want you to know what has happened to me, my circumstances, has actually served to advance the gospel. In fact, he goes on, he says, Because of my imprisonment, the whole palace guard knows why I'm in chains. The whole pile of scarred, all the guards here, they all know about Jesus and why I'm in jail. And then when you get to the end of the letter, the very end part of the letter, at the final greetings, when he's giving all the greetings to everybody, and say, he says, everyone, all the people of God here um, um, greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. <laughs> then because Paul's in prison, all the guards are finding out about Jesus, and now there's believers in Caesar's household. Changes your whole perspective. It may not be turning out good for Paul, but his perspective on what God is doing could not have happened had I not been put here in prison. That's a source of joy. And that's the confidence. And then the last one. Discover your life contribution. The greatest source, if not the greatest, one of the greatest sources of joy for your life comes from living generously. And not just in giving financially, but in giving your time and your treasure and your talents. That, that, that when you give and when you serve, when you volunteer, when you work, when you do that, it becomes a source of joy for you. The Philippian church, here's a little background for them. Paul was not there in Philippi all that long. He was there just briefly, but he met this, this, a woman named Lydia, and she opened up her home. The church was planted in her living room. That kind of sounds familiar. Um, and she opened up her home. She began, and her household, they became followers of Jesus. The other first members of the church was actually one of the jailers because Paul had been put in a prison there too. And, and in the middle of the night, um, God sends this uh, earthquake, breaks open the prison doors. This jailer is afraid all the prisoners have escaped. He's going to kill himself because he figures, I'm done for now because everybody got away. They all say, don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. He invites him over to his house, cleans up his wounds. The jailer, his whole family, they become followers of Jesus. They become part of this house church over in Lydia's house. And then Paul ends up leaving. And he's got this small group of believers, and he's put the whole ministry into their hands because he's not there anymore. And they've taken up the cause, and they start doing the work of the ministry. And Paul writes to them. He says, so in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Not only did they take up the cause and they do the work in the ministry in the church. They actually became supporters of him financially as he continued to spread the word in other cities. He says, it fills me with joy that you are a part of what I'm doing and, and it's not only a source of joy for Paul, it's a source of joy for them. Because there's something about using what God has given to you to help somebody else that fills you with that sense of joy. Martin Seligman, again, in his book, writes about this. Now, he is a self-proclaimed agnostic. He says, I used to be an atheist. I'm kind of moving. Now I'm an agnostic. I'm not sure I'm into this whole God thing. But here's what he writes in his book and his, all of his findings about this, this whole idea. He said he, he 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 defines what he calls a meaningful life in this authentic happiness and a meaningful life he defines as and this is that enduring joy idea using your signature strengths in the service of something larger than you are. He says that is the secret to a meaningful life that is a secret to that enduring joy using your signature strengths in the service of something larger than you are. Now he's not a Christ follower Not necessarily a believer in God, but he is recognizing there is a deeper, more profound source of joy and happiness in our lives. And it comes from using our gifts, our strengths, in in use for something bigger than ourselves. What we say around here, it's using the spiritual gifts God's given you to use in his kingdom work. It's that simple. And, And every one of us have been gifted by God. See, here's the deal. You were created to make a contribution in this world. And God has gifted you and shaped you to make that contribution. And you will find the greatest source of strength and joy and um, uh, fulfillment in using those gifts for his work in this world. Now, that doesn't mean that it will always be easy. It doesn't mean that you won't get tired. It doesn't mean that it won't sometimes be frustrating. It won't mean that sometimes you won't need a break. In fact, Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How you doing on that one? By the way, <laughs> he said, "I know it's going to get tiring sometimes. I know you're going to want to do it one way, and somebody's going to else is going to want to do it the other way." He says, "Just do whatever you do without grumbling or arguing. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep using your gifts, your strengths, in God's kingdom work, and it will be a source of joy for you." How do you discover your gifts? Well, around here, we have a couple of different ways. One is a Northgate U class that we have. It's actually going to be uh, next month. It's called Finding Your Fit, where you're going to learn about what these gifts are and where you might be gifted and how God might have shaped you to do his work in this world. Another is through Rooted. You might want to sign up for Rooted because that's one of the things that addresses in the Rooted experience. The most important thing is that you find out how God has gifted and shaped you and then Put it to work in his kingdom, because sometimes when we when we try to um, get people to to volunteer and work in churches, sometimes we kind of you know first like we make an announcement like we need children's workers and then nobody responds. So the next week we kind of try a little guilt tactic, you know, like you know you know some poor child is going to go without a teacher next week if you don't show up, you know, and and then that usually doesn't work. So we try a little more guilt because it worked so well the first time, you know, and and here's the asking somebody to serve. It's not like recruiting somebody to do something miserable. Asking somebody to serve is not asking somebody to do a favor. When someone serves, you are inviting them into an experience of God using them with the gifts he's given them to make an eternal difference in somebody's life. And that is a great source of joy. Now, here's the thing I have discovered as a pastor over the last umpteen years. It's really hard to get people to believe that up front. It's hard to be- get people to believe that giving actually makes you feel better. It's hard to get people to believe that serving actually produces joy in you. But around this room there were people who have discovered the truth of that. And over the years hundreds of people have discovered their joy in serving. And it's changed their lives. And, and one of the big reasons, what I love about our church is the level of volunteerism and the level of serving and people using their gifts and, and, and serving God in his kingdom, not just here in this building, but out in our communities. And I think it is one of the greatest contributors to this incredible sense of joy that we have around here. I mean, people are actually happy to be here <laughs> and to be a part of what God is doing here. And it's because of these lessons that we are all learning together. And believe me, we are learning them. We don't have them all down. But learning contentment and learning that confidence and learning our giftedness and our life contribution changes everything. So Paul wrote, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I said last week, imagine if all Christ followers around the world became love or made our number one goal becoming love. What a difference. What if if just our church, what if just you, me, learned how to become love? What a difference that would make. Here's my question today. What if... What if all Christ followers learned to become joy? <laughs> One of the great criticisms of, of, of the church is that just, you know, this is judgmental and, a yeah, yak. What if, what if we were known for our love and for our joy? What a difference it would make in this world. So let me ask you today maybe you're here and, and you're dealing with this discontent and you feel like you just got to have. Another fix of something to make you feel happy. What if you just took some time this week and took some time to focus on what you do have instead of what you don't? And just begin the process of learning contentment. Or maybe you're here today and you're going through some pretty difficult circumstances and it's hard to believe anything good can possibly come of this. And it's just hard right now. Would you just in this moment, in a prayer, Say, God, I'm putting this in your hand. This is beyond me. I can't do this. I'm inviting you into this circumstance, this situation. Or maybe for you today, you've been sitting on the sidelines and you don't know the joy that comes from serving and living this generous life. And maybe it's a decision today to just simply say, you know what, I'm going to start giving back. I'm going to start practicing this generosity thing. I don't know where this message hits you, but here's what I can tell you from my own experience. I can promise you this. If you can develop this contentment and and this confidence in God and and discovering your life contribution, it will, it will, I guarantee, increase your capacity for joy. I know it from my own life experience and I can guarantee it for you. So I'm going to invite you to increase your capacity for joy, however that might be. And if you're here today and and you don't know this because you don't really know a relationship with God, here's a very simple truth. God loves you just the way that you are. He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life on a cross to free you from your past, to free you from your sin, to free you from your mistakes and your failures and all of that stuff and give you this new life of joy, this new life of love his love expressed to you, and all he asks is that you just trust him. Put your faith and trust him. Maybe you have never done that, and maybe today that's your decision, but whatever it is, I just want to invite you to make this your prayer. Lord, I want my life to be filled with that kind of joy, and the circumstances of my life may not be the best right now. My past, I don't know, And certainly I deal with discontent, but I want to find that thing that you have for me. I want that life. So I'm bringing to you all this other stuff and I'm just asking for your forgiveness. I'm I'm, I'm laying it at your feet and I'm just saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to experience that, that profound, deep, enduring sense of joy and happiness that only you can give. And I cannot manufacture it on my own. So I'm putting my faith and trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?